is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, January 2, 2021. I said 2021, thank goodness we made it to another year. This is another special holiday show featuring music. My troubadour, Dave Gunders. Don't worry, I'm not singing this week, although some people enjoyed it last week. I did. And thanks to the nice listener who wrote in and said, Craig, you have a nice vibrato. Isn't that sweet? Dave Gunders really can sing, and boy, can he write songs too. Here are 12 more original compositions by David Gunders, our troubadour. Enjoy. We welcome back my troubadour, our troubadour, Dave Gunders, with the perfect song, Somebody Help Me. I'm exhilarated by my interview with Spencer Haywood, and I thought you had the perfect song for this time of year and for the Spencer Haywood story. It's about a guy, well, you tell us about the song, Somebody Help Me. What inspired it? Craig, a fellow who I work with, he's a a lead carpenter on our projects. His son had an addiction to opioids, and for a period of six months or so, we would have conversations, and Many times my friend would cry, would be crying. He thought his son was going to die. And um, he, was, he was addicted. He was shooting the stuff. And it, that, those conversations gave rise to the song. So it's about substance abuse. Spencer Haywood got addicted to cocaine, and he had to overcome it. The thing about your song, it's not a downer. It's filled with the sense that this can be accomplished and it's all about the person inside. Right. And, and fortunately for my friend and more fortunately for his son, he, his son actually had himself put in jail for six months. There was no other way for him to stop using. And he went to jail and he, and, and he came out. He's been clean ever since. But it was those conversations with my friend where he would say, you know, he loved his son and his son loves him. But he would say, my son, would he'll do anything. He'll lie. He'll do anything he needs to in order to get his next fix. So those kinds of things kind of were, were fodder for the song. But yes, it, it is hopeful because the, the, you know, the, 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 the person in, in who's addicted is saying, he's turning the corner. He's saying, I know it has to be me that's going to make this change. I love it. It's in your reggae style. Here is Dave Gunders playing the song, Somebody Help Me. Well, 
to myself every time I look Laugh pretty hard before I cry Had it all together till I got hooked Cause I love that rush, I wanna get high Somebody help me please Somebody help me please Some guessing song song and the bridge i love that line every excuse only tightens the noose around my head how do you come up with stuff like that well it rhymed i know but uh, the way you construct your song i think it's just beautiful and it's upbeat we already heard about the happy ending these are the days of awe yom kippur starts sundown on sunday and it's a time for introspection, and that, too, is what your song is really about, right, Dave Gunders? Very much about introspection, pulling yourself up by yourself in order to, to improve your life. I think that's the spirit of Yom Kippur. Do you take it that way? How, how do you approach uh, the Day of Atonement? And is there some kind of apology you want to say to me? I'll go first. For anything I said wrong or did wrong in your presence, I apologize. I will do better next year. You're doing fine, and I don't. I don't uh, expect an apology. We. We. I. I enjoy being your friend. May your name be inscribed in the book of life, and may you have an early fast, my troubadour, the one and only Dave Gunders. Thank you, Craig, and good yontif. 
Kajian Tapsteel. Dave Gunders, my troubadour. I like you for so many different reasons, but part of it is your charisma. Thank you, Craig. We talk a lot about religion, but some religions have a charismatic element where they speak in tongues. Have you ever seen that? I've never seen it. I've seen it depicted in movies, that sort of thing. Someone o- overtaken by the spirit. Yeah. Ain't that something? It's it's something. And uh, that's not so much what the song was about, but I thought uh, in terms of the song talking in tongues, I kind of gave it a different meaning. Amy Coney Barrett, the nominee for the Supreme Court, I think she's going to make it. She's reportedly part of a charismatic Catholic group that speaks in tongues. Well, these people are very affected by God, and I, I think they, they think that he can speak through them, and not necessarily God, but I think it can also be other forces that can sometimes drive them. My father, may he rest in peace, Sheldon Silverman, loved a good tongue sandwich. How about you? Have you ever had one? I stay away from that, Craig. Why? I just don't like looking a tongue in the face. What about eggs? Do you eat those? Yes. Do you know where they come from? As long as there's no green ham or tongue. Anyway, talking in tongues, particularly apropos this week with the debate. Did you watch that national tragedy? Yes. And I think that's appropriately termed right there. I was aghast. It was embarrassing. And I went through all kinds of emotions, but I don't think it really served the American people. But you're lyrics to this song really fit. Remember how your song starts? The song starts, trouble getting through. Is it my word choice or is it you not wanting to hear? Well, we heard a lot of that last night. Great song. Let's hear it. Talking in Tongues by Dave Gunders. Say, am I talking in? 
such a great song and the way it's hard charging from the outset. And what is that? Electric guitars at the end? Electric guitars all the way through. Who is the angel singing in the background? Was that Rachel or Sarah? I can't remember at the moment. Oh, no. One of my beautiful daughters. Let me see. Maybe both of them. Great song. Talking in tongues. Apropos of the debate. Apropos of Amy Coney Barrett. My troubadour, Dave Gunders, give us words of wisdom for this week. Let's all hang in there and hope for the best this election. Gotta hope for the best. Thank you, troubadour. Welcome back. Our troubadour, Dave Gunders, has a very special song. I knew it as track 15 on one of your great albums. Tell everybody about it. That song came into being uh, right around the time of the Me Too movement. And actually, I was... I was thinking of Harvey Weinstein when that song came up. Time out. Harvey Weinstein of Miramax fame, the big Hollywood producer who was at the epicenter of the Me Too movement. First of all, what is the title of this song? Sorry Isn't Good Enough. And I love the lyric where you keep going, tough. Somebody's trying to apologize and the other person is saying, tough. That's for Harvey? That's for Harvey and anyone who's belligerent and feels that they can just walk over other people in an effort to raise themselves higher. Nice. You watched that debate. Your wife named you Mr. Oblivious, but even you watched the debate between Biden and Trump. What were your thoughts? Well, you're talking about the presidential debate. Yes. So, well, I thought that that Trump was sniping a lot. And I thought that was his strategy to put Biden off guard. I thought Biden did the best he could do under the circumstances. It showed Trump for who he was. It didn't surprise me at all. I thought Biden held his own. You are a Biden voter. I don't need to work on you. You work on me. It's the other way around. Actually, and, and it's it, interesting, the timing's good because I just sent, I just, I just watched, and you had sent me, thank you for sending this, it was, it was Biden's Gettysburg Address that he gave very recently. I, I thought it was the best I've heard Biden, the most eloquent, it was clear, it was inspirational, and he sounded like a president. I think he's hitting his stride, fountain of youth. You know, you don't want to give a Ken Ahura a jinx, but I'll tell you that I think Joe Biden will go the distance, and I think he's a good man. And he proved it at Gettysburg. And thank you very much for watching that. Now, we took a walk and you told me I had to watch a movie called Cold Mountain. And I did. And I'm glad you told me. But why did that movie impact you and why do you recommend it to people? Well, I'm not sure what, like you, I don't remember what got us on the subject of Cold Mountain. It's a great story. The movie it takes place during the greatest rift in in our in our country's history. So that's how we got onto it. We were talking about Trump. I talk about him endlessly because he bothers me. And I think we're headed toward a problem. Jim Clyburn just said we are teetering on the brink. And if you look at Cold Mountain, and I just watched it, the Civil War was horrific. And you think about certain battles, but you forget about the home front and the home guard and the creepy old guys who are behind while the young guys are sacrificed during war. 
And you can't help but think, why do we have a rift like this? And I'll tell you why. And I tell it to my kids and I'll tell it to your kids, Rachel and Sarah. It is Donald Trump. He is deliberately divisive. But what is most disturbing is that the Republicans enable him, our friends, our neighbors, and I'm pissed. I don't want to go through a cold mountain civil war. So I think that was it, don't you? Well, that's well said, Craig. And, and, I, and I will say again that to hear Biden's words is very comforting because he, you know, he, he, he talks about this country being at a, you know, a crossroads right now. He's absolutely right. And, you know, the, the, you know, fanning the hatred that is so prevalent now is not the answer. And he, and he put his finger on it. Anyone out there who didn't see that speech, I, I ask you to watch Biden because he talks about the need for us to talk to each other, to respect each other, to love each other. The other way, we're, right now we're in a, we're in a, you know, a, a zeitgeist where it, just the opposite is true. And just because you said zeitgeist, which is the magic word, remember Groucho Marx, you won yourself $500. We are going to play Joe Biden at Gettysburg right now. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Here on this sacred ground, Abraham Lincoln reimagined America itself. You don't have to agree with me on everything or even on most things, to see that we're experiencing today is neither good nor normal. I made the decision to run for president after Charlottesville. Close your eyes and remember what you saw. Neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and the KKK coming out of the fields with torches lighted, veins bulging, chanting the same anti-Semitic bile heard across Europe in the 30s. It was hate on the march, in the open, in America. Hate never goes away. It only hides. And when it's given oxygen, when it's given an opportunity to spread, when it's treated as normal and acceptable behavior, we've opened a door in this country that we must move quickly to close. I believe in law and order. I've never supported defunding the police, but I also believe injustice is real. It's a product of a history that goes back 400 years, the moment when black men, women, and children first were brought here in chains. I do not believe we have to choose between law and order and racial justice in America. We can have both. This is a nation strong enough to both honestly face systemic racism and strong enough to provide safe streets for our families and small businesses that too often bear the brunt of this looting and burning. We have no need for armed militias roaming America's streets. And we should have no tolerance for extremist white supremacy groups menacing our communities. As president, I will embrace hope, not fear. Peace, not violence. Generosity, not greed. And light, not darkness. I'll be a president who appeals to the best in us, not the worst. I'll be a president who pushes toward the future, 
not one who clings to the past. I'm ready to fight for you and for our nation every day, without exception, without reservation, and with a full and devoted heart. We cannot and will not allow extremists and white supremacists to overturn the America of Lincoln and Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass, to overturn the America that has welcomed immigrants from distant shores, to overturn the America that has been a haven and a home for everyone, no matter their background. From Seneca Falls to Selma to Stonewall, we're at our best when the promise of America is available to all. We cannot and we will not allow violence in the street to threaten the people of this nation. We cannot and will not walk away from our obligation to at long last face the reckoning on race and racial justice in this country. We cannot and will not continue to be struck in the partisan politics that lets this virus thrive while the public health of this nation suffers. We cannot and will not accept an economic equation that only favors those who've already got it made. Everybody deserves a shot at prosperity. Duty and history call presidents to provide for the common good. And I will. After hearing the second inaugural address, Frederick Douglass told the President Lincoln, Mr. Lincoln, that was a sacred effort. We have to be dedicated to our own sacred effort. The promise of Gettysburg that the new birth of freedom was at hand. I think it's at risk. Every generation that's followed Gettysburg has been faced with a moment when it must answer this question, whether it will allow the sacrifices made here to be in vain or be fulfilled. This is our moment to answer this essential American question for ourselves and for our time. And my answer is this. It cannot be that after all this country has been through, after all that America has accomplished, after all the years we have stood as a beacon of light to the world, it cannot be that here and now in 2020, we will allow the government of the people, by the people, and for the people to perish on this earth. No, it cannot and it must not. We have it in our hands, the ultimate power, the power to vote. It's the noblest instrument ever devised to register our will in a peaceable and productive fashion. And so we must. We must vote. We will vote. No matter how many obstacles are thrown in our way, because once America votes, America will be heard. Lincoln said, the nation is worth fighting for. So it was, and so it is. Together, as one nation, under God, indivisible, let us join forces to fight the common foe of injustice and inequality, hate, and fear. Now back to Cold Mountain. We can't play all of that, but I do recommend it. It's free on HBO if you have a subscription. And young Nicole Kidman, Jude Law, they have a romance that reminded me of Ben and Elaine in The Graduate. I love those stories about 
a guy doing anything in his pursuit of a woman. Don't you, Dave Gunders? Oh, she was she was the flame that kept him living during all the hardship that he endured. Yeah, Nicole Kidman can do that, especially, what was that, 20 years ago? 1993. Right, it's been okay, some time. Okay, who produced that movie? Miramax. Who was the head of Miramax? Oh, was it Weinstein? Harvey Weinstein. How interesting is that? Isn't that interesting? And Renee Zellweger won an Academy Award for playing, do you remember her name there? Um, I don't bug Ruby. Yeah. Ruby, Ruby, she was terrific, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ada, Ada Monroe was Nicole Kidman, and Inman was played by Jude Law. Donald Sutherland played her father, but that guy Teague, the guy who stayed behind to torment the town. It was a good point you made, Craig. But it's the kind of thing you know. We we you know you read you read the history of our of our wars. And so many times it's on the big stage, but it's true. To really understand the suffering, you do go to the farms, to the businesses that shut down, to the, to the people who starved on the home front. And some people will victimize women. And they were targets of rape and attack. And Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, they just arrested a credible crew bent on kidnapping and probably killing her. This is going on in America 25th Amendment now, it's gotten too deep. I know you didn't watch the BP debate because you already know who you're going to vote for. You're not that much of a political junkie. But Kamala Harris did fine. She won. But I'm not saying she was the greatest all time, but she tried to lay low. And I, I thought she was mild, okay? Smart, mild, made no mistakes. But the president of the United States has now called her a monster. A monster. What do you do with monsters? You have to kill the monster, right? And he also said Joe Biden's not going to last more than two months in office, thereby signaling the Proud Boys, who he said, stand back and stand by. Look, you're going to have a black woman in charge of your country, and you guys know what that means. Get ready. And it's almost like Cold Mountain. You can't believe it would go on in 2020 or that people would be so stupid. And I understand there are a lot of ignorant people in the world, but I worked with some smart people on Denver Trump radio. And I thought they were smarter than this and better than this. But if you support this kind of crap, then you are an accomplice. You are complicit at this point brother against brother. It's that personal. And isn't that what your song is about, Dave Gunders? Crimes can be committed for which an apology does not cut it. Right. And at a certain point, with all this evidence on the table, if you won't walk away from this guy and say, he's my sugar, you know what? We're pro-life. We could find better people to represent our pro-life position than this guy. We've got to. Because this guy is He's not well. And when Cory Gardner's of the world won't stand up to him, what chance do we have? And when Cory Gardner later says, well, sorry, Craig, but there was this, there was that, I'm going to say tough shit. I've written you open letters, approached you respectfully, and sorry won't be good enough. Dave Gunders, you're the author of this song and the guy who sings it. 
Am I onto something? Is is that the harsh judgment? And you wrote it for Harvey Weinstein. You've gone too far, man. Sorry isn't going to cut it. Well, I understand. And uh, I think your your words are true, Craig. Well, let's listen to this beautiful song by Dave Gunders. Giggling comes from our troubadour, Dave Gunders. Hi, Craig. We are in my studio. My dogs are present today, as you can hear right on cue. Iko, Skyler, settle down. They are aware that this is a special animal edition of the troubadour Dave Gunders segment. And you know how it got inspired, Dave Gunders. I sent you an email about a world record, and I know you were impressed. I must have missed it. About the bird? Yes. Oh, well, you told me about this bird. No, that was, that's very impressive. 17,500 miles in one flight? 7,600 miles, oh, but you were close. Okay, so that's- How a, many days? That's like a, 11 days. That's like a third 
That's like a third around the world at the equator. From Alaska to New Zealand. Do you remember the kind of bird? It was a, a it was a, a a god hawk. Godwit. G-O-D-W-I-T. And I always feel funny writing it out because I went to Hebrew school, probably like you, and it's spelled G-O-D. That's sacrilegious, correct? You're supposed to, right. You're not supposed to actually write out the full name God. It's so G-D. Dash D. It's a... It, right, it comes from the Torah where you shouldn't take the nor- the the name of the Lord in vain, or actually maybe that that you shouldn't bear have have uh, idols. Anything that represents God should be abbreviated, not not in true form. I saw in a Jewish publication the other day the word Almighty with the capital A, but a dash instead of the I. Mm, same idea. So God went. I had never heard of that bird before, but I was amazed. And you and I are regular walking partners during this pandemic. And a lot of it has revolved around birds. What are the bird highlights for you? Well, the owls at the beginning of the pandemic, I'll never forget. Back in late February, early March, when we were just hearing about this, we were watching, we were taking walks and watching these owls that had just had their babies. Three beautiful owls. And they're around the neighborhood now. The nest is still there, but they are gone. That was amazing. But what other birds have we seen? Well, there's the water birds, the herons. There's the great blues and the night herons that we see. The hawks. And the hawks. But let's give some credit to the song that always gets the two of us singing. Even though I'm not a great singer, we do sing this together. Do you remember what that is? And Your Bird Can Sing by the Beatles? No. I'm talking about the red, red robin that goes bob, bob, bobbing along. Along. There'll be no more sobbing. When you're robbing. Now when she starts singing her old sweet song. Wake up. Wake up. You sleepyhead. Get up. Get up. You're Get out of bed. The sun is red. Cheer up. Cheer up. The sun is red. Live. Love. Laugh and be happy. There we go. I remember my mom singing that to me. That is a great memory. I know. And what did I do? I just sang. But you know what bird is taking over that has interesting dimensions? Magpies. Have you seen them all over lately? Yeah, bully birds. You don't like the magpie? Magpies are predatory of young nestlings, and I don't like them in large numbers. They have tended to to take over areas. Do you know they are unique to the Western United States and don't really exist where you grew up on no, the East Coast? No, there's different kinds of magpies. These are actually the magpie is a beautiful bird. And do you know they are one of the smartest birds? They can recognize themselves in a mirror. Yeah, they don't, and they know I don't like them. I come walking by and they squawk at me. Well, you're talking trash on the air about them, but I asked you, Dave Gunders, do you have a bird song? And you gave me a beautiful ode called On and On Her Way. Tell us about the song we are about to hear. You know, I'm wondering if I should, because every, every song should really stand on its own. I, my, my dad, when he heard this song, had a whole different take on it. So I'm not sure that I should really present w- what the song was about from my standpoint. Well, that's interesting. I was a little confused, but I thought it was a perfect pandemic era song as well about time on my hands, moving too slow, ain't been myself this much I do know. And then you're like a bird fell from the sky. What an image that is. 
You know that Godwin, I'd like to know more about that bird. Don't you think we should know the bird's name? It's gender. You mean you mean uh, well, I think probably both genders. If one if one did it of of one gender, the others probably tagged along, don't you think? Well, they were tagged. I don't know the answers to these questions, but they flew for 11 days without water or food. Unbelievable. Now, my uh, my hypothesis that is that they do it in such at at a certain time and where they can rise high up into the Gulf Stream and take advantage of the of the air currents. They have to do that. Right. They're built like little bullets, like jet fighter planes. They are so efficient. The Godwit. I might also interject that I know that hummingbirds will fly across the Gulf of Mexico. For years, scientists thought it was impossible, and then they finally did track them. That's probably a good 800 miles right there. And since we're going back a bit, birds are like dinosaurs. And so how do they know to get from Alaska to New Zealand? Apparently, they spot New Caledonia, and they make a little beer to the left. Yeah, they know it because they've been around for so many more millions of years than we have. Remarkable. Dave Gunder's song, On and On Her Way. She goes on and on her way 
catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bacon. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Sandler Training is one of the leading sales training and leadership development companies in all the world. If you're interested in increasing your win rates and revenue margins, increasing the number of salespeople exceeding quota, addressing sales manager professional development, reducing your turnover of sales personnel, it's all waiting for you at Sandler Training. Call my pal Dan Levitt at 303-829-2107 and tell him Craig sent you. Hey, Danny, what happens if somebody calls and says, hey, Craig sent me? Well, Craig, for the first few minutes, we'll probably tell some jokes about you. What? Yeah. And then I'll dig into, you know, what, what's going on in their world and whether or not I'm a fit for what, you know, might, might be able to help them or not. He's an easy guy to talk to. I've been talking to him for so many decades. Call my old friend, Dan Levitt, 303-829-2107. 303-829-2107. Tell them Craig sent you. Hey there, I'm not going to take a lot of your time. I've been a lawyer almost 40 years. My brother was a lawyer. My father, a Denver lawyer. My grandfather, a Denver lawyer. If you have a legal problem, call me. 303-861-2800. 303-861-2800. If I'm not the right lawyer for you, I bet I know somebody who is. 303-861-2800. Thank you. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, Troubadour. Are you ready, my simple man? I am. Tell everybody about your song, Simple Man. Simple Man is about being in the present, and it's about recognition that so often we're not. The song imagines someone who comes into town who's 
more mindful of his of his uh, everyday existence and focuses on the moment. And the narrator of the song sings, "I am not a simple man," and he wishes he were more. He wishes he were more calm with the moment. It's about mindfulness. Yes. Did you invent mindfulness? You know, you could have made a fortune. It comes naturally to me most of the time. The simple pleasures. You are a simple man. And well, I'm not sure how to take that. Is the, is that like simple? Well. Simple man, silver man. It goes together well. Okay, simpleton, maybe. That too. But you have some lines in there that are apropos of the times. I think this selection is simple, man. You figure out who's supporting Donald Trump, and then you vote against them. That's and simple, man. I mm-hmm. think so. But what about the elements? Fire up in the Colorado mountains. I know it's near and dear to you. Wow, we talk about it on our frequent walks. It's dry out there. I hope we get some snow. Oh, looking for snow right now. That East Troublesome fire quadrupled in size yesterday. It's frightening. We taped this earlier in the week. By the time this drops Saturday morning, may there be plenty of snow on Shabbat. Let's listen to the song. But before we do, I like the piano. Who's playing that piano? In Simple Man. Piano is played by Mark DeVere, my buddy and bandmate. And I hope you're out there listening, Mark. Hope things are well. All right, everybody, give a lesson. Simple Man by David Gunders, our troubadour. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Greg. Simple man, 
Happy Halloween, Troubadour. Happy Halloween, Craig. Tell us, Dave Gunders, is Halloween a big deal? Did you and your band entertain people on Halloween? And what was that like? Oh, well, my band, the Mighty Twisters, we we played uh, some places in Boulder, some favorite spots, always on Halloween. We're a fun Halloween, but it's the greatest to play on Halloween. Everybody's out in costume, dancing around, having a great time. As a father... Did you take your daughter's trick-or-treating? And what did you do to spice up the scariness of Halloween? Oh, well, that was the best. The best Halloween ever was being a father to two young young daughters and taking them around, trick-or-treating. You know, we would, we would come up with all these, um, with these schemes to really do some scary stuff. Like one time I, I dressed up as a bird and sat in the tree and just kind of watched the kids as they went below, you know. Didn't scare them, but they, they were very interested. <laughs> oh, wow. That must be another Boulder experience, right? It was up in Boulder. Once yeah. you go over that Davidson Mesa, everything changes, and you are proof of that. But you're in Denver area now. Have you voted yet? No. And the only reason being is I'm collecting my, my daughter's ballots that are being sent from various locations. Then I'll take all of our ballots and put them in the box. Wonderful. I wait till election day. I can't believe all the people who get impatient. What if something changes? It must be the trial lawyer in me. You would never have a jury decide the verdict before they heard all of the evidence. Well, I don't know. You have a rich imagination, Craig. But right now, I think we have other things to worry about. I know. But I think if I drop it off on Election Day, I feel like I've heard all the information and I'm confident I can get it done that day. But I will say this. 
everybody is getting the feeling of what it's like to be a trial lawyer while you are waiting for a verdict. It's like, come on, give us the result already. Do you feel that anxiety? Of course. Well, that's why I'm hoping for a strong margin of victory so that there would be no question, Craig, no question, no challenge. Right. May there please be a Trump repudiation. But in the meantime, we have anxiety. And I happen to have on the number one marijuana lawyer in America, Christian Cederberg, as your fellow guest this week, Troubadour Dave Gunners. Do you, by chance, with your bolder and musical background, have any songs that touch on the topic of marijuana? Craig, my song, Don't Give Me No Vape, and I'm going to put it out there to Christian. You are going to put out to Christian Cederberg your song, Don't Give Me No Vape. Yes, I'm, I'm putting it out there. I'm putting that song out there today to Christian. Is it self-explanatory? It's just, I just had some fun. If you listen to it, it's probably... Uh, you, it'll probably come to you, but it's, I guess it's about an old school guy who likes to smoke. Not, uh, he doesn't like the idea of an electronic vape. Oh, I thought my old partner, Dan Kaplis might get excited that you were coming out against the whole prospect by saying, don't give me no vape. You want something with fire. Let's give everybody a listen. Don't give me no vape by our troubadour, Dave Gunders. I was out playing Twisters were rocking and wailing Everybody on the floor Dancing till the early morn Later I became no wiser Talking on a vaporizer And though I tried I could only sigh Cause I felt forlorn I said, boys, won't you listen to what I'm saying? You tell me that it's kind, but there's a price we're paying. So don't give me no vape this evening. I need a strong hit I can believe in. I want to fill my lungs. Shine like the sun And I don't need it to be mellow I want to suck it down deep till I bellow Coughing out in plumes Till I fill the room I get higher with fire So pass another hit now Yo, 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 yo Walking with my girl the next day Shadow pass across her face Words stuck in her throat Afraid she might rock the boat I think of all the things it might be Tell me straight Well, how can I 
such a long time And you can't say Troubadour, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Craig, and thank you. I brought you over a little something to celebrate because did you hear Joe Biden is the president-elect? No, I did not hear. Thank you for that wonderful news. I'm giving the official Craig Silverman Show podcast announcement. I'm calling it right now, Friday night, before anybody else does, and I'm glad you are listening. I'm listening, and it's a, it's a historic moment. Sometimes you don't listen so well, but I listened over and over to one of my favorite songs in the world, and you wrote it called Hard of Understanding. Hard of Understanding. What is that about, Dave Gunders? That phrase came to me as a takeoff from, uh, from off the expression hard of hearing, and I was uh, making the distinction between people's ability to uh to hear versus our willingness to listen so the i you know the idea of the expression heart of understanding came to me and uh i thought well let's write a song about this it is one of my favorites and it's so apropos of the times because i think there are so many lyrics that apply including your pandemic line and i know you wrote this before the pandemic saying hey we're all in this together Right, right, true, true that. Maybe you're not just a troubadour. Maybe you are a prophet, Dave Gunders. Stop calling me names, Craig. Okay, I will. But you know what presidential <laughs> phrase you turned in your song? Uh, no, you know my songs better than I do. You use the expression, let me be, it, you said it's perfectly clear. When I hear perfectly right. clear. You think of what, Nixon? I think Nixon of Nixon? Dick Nixon. Yeah. <laughs> let I me make this perfectly clear. Yeah, he did. And then you have one that's apropos of Donald Trump and his first debate performance. Do you know what that was? Go ahead. The proud getting prouder. The proud getting prouder. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think the proud has to eat a little bit of humble pie here. I, I hate to see him fanning the flames of uh, of doubt in our in our in our election system. It's terrible. But at this point, I'm hoping most people just aren't really listening to him. But you know your song, and we're going to play it right now. People listen to their own channels, and I think Fox. I don't know if you've watched any of it, but they're the ones who have him 
just six electoral votes away. They called Arizona early. Rupert Murdoch is standing up to Donald Trump, and they may start to compete in the conservative media world. So that's what I think is going to happen. But boy, the next few months, the next few months are going to be very tenuous. Do you have enough whiskey to get through that? I'm working on it. Yeah, the next few months, he's what we're going to see is 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 Donald throwing a tantrum. How that's going to, you know, pan out, I don't know. I but, think he's uh, going to try to hold us all hostage for a good uh, plea deal where he and his cronies don't have to go to prison, and we'll fine. all have to think about that. But he has a lot of supporters, yes, and the next does. move is for the Republicans. But our next move is to play your song. Thank you, Craig. It's so great. Thank you, Troubadour. Heart of understanding. Talk to you soon.
Kenders, my troubadour, you have outdone yourself. Hi, Craig. Hi, Dave. I can't wait to go walking with our dogs later today, but right now I need to get your input. This is our 20th show. Do you realize that, troubadour? 20 great songs from Dave Kenders. And today it's a special name-dropping episode of my podcast, You know why? Because I'm going to drop some famous names like Felix Sparks, who I knew, the late, great Colorado general, Alex Kershaw, the historian who wrote about him. He and I went to a Neil Diamond concert, I think maybe because the Gunders couldn't go. I took Alex Kershaw and a buddy. And then I'm talking about Geraldo Rivera. Did you hear Geraldo is the guy who's talked Donald Trump down And now Donald Trump is acknowledging to my old buddy Geraldo that it may be time to go, but he wants to exhaust every possible legal remedy. What do you think about all that name dropping, Dave Gunders? I think it's impressive. I always look forward to hearing the show, Craig. And that's that's aside the fact that I'm the troubadour. You have the perfect song this week for pandemic times, for Donald Trump leaving the White House. In fact, The opening line is, take this house, we're done with it. (laughs) It is. And as usual, you make it work for for your subject matter. It's not about Trump leaving the house, although I'll take that. Why not? And what about the pandemic? So much uncertainty. Times are testing everyone. That that's more that speaks more to the song. It it's about a family that's fallen on hard financial times and loses their house. But it's also like I, I love to do it's also a love song to his wife and to to the their uh their recovery. Well we know that eliminates the Trumps. I'm not sure there's that much love between Donald and Melania, but the other reason it doesn't apply is because the chorus so beautifully written and sung by you and some beautiful female. You have the refrain, we don't owe nobody nothing. 
And right. that doesn't apply to the Trumps. He's deep in debt. <laughs> no, no, that does not nearly apply to him. But uh, it certainly is is a, a good thing to have in someone's life to to be debt free or close to it. Who is the beautiful background singer? Is it Rachel? Is it Sarah? Usually it's one of your daughters, but this is another amazing voice. Who is it? No, this is a, this this woman is named. Her name is Liz Ager, and she's a she's a professional sh- singer. Um, I I just got a hold of her through a friend and called her. She was interested, and actually, she's done a number of songs with me. She's she's really she's really a wonderful singer. This is one of the most spectacular songs, and we are celebrating the fact that Donald Trump will be leaving the White House. How about that election, Troubadour? I'm thrilled. Thankfully, you know, the results were what they were. Um, I'm, it's, it's tempered in my mind by, by Trump's unwillingness to concede. It, it's, it's infuriating. And I think he steps on the traditions and the mechanisms of our democracy by doing that. But he's, gonna, he's gone, and that's a good thing. And I bet when he leaves, probably before the holidays, before Christmas, he'll go down to Mar-a-Lago. And if there was a sound cloud above him, it might say, take this house, we're done with it. Thank <laughs> you for this American dream. Dave Gunders, listen to this beautiful song. Thank you. Thanks, Craig. Take this house, we're done with it Won't be no love lost, friend Cause it ain't a life when you're under it Gonna give it up, start again Maybe some good will come of it There's that little town by the bay On some rented porch We'll light our torch Laugh every time we say Don't know nobody nothing This American dream About a castle and a king Well there's more to the dream than that It's more about the chance To dance your own dance Or take another turn at bat But there's so much uncertainty Times are testing everyone Doing with less be for the best No more sweating under the gun Don't know nobody nothing Selling our soul Climbing out of this disaster Like climbing up out of a hole 
of law, Michael Bailey, decisions are often left to a personal representative. God forbid a person gets killed. That's an important decision you can make ahead of time. Who is going to be your personal representative? What is your advice in that regard? So you want to pick somebody as a personal representative who has several qualities. Number one, you want them to kind of have a good sense of financial stuff and and matters like that so they can they can deal with that i have a friend who's really really good and really really smart and is scared to death to fill out a tax form because they don't quite just the finances don't make sense to them so you don't want to pick that type of person you want to pick somebody who can understand finances you want to pick somebody who's trustworthy who will carry out your decisions and if you can do it you want to pick somebody who's not afraid of people not liking them or getting their feelings hurt. Now, back to the Craig Silverman Show. Mr. Henry Gunders, what an honor to speak to you. Tell our audience a little about yourself. Where were you born? And give us the day and the year. I was born on the day of June 1924. Yes, you heard right, 1924. June 30, 1924. Where were you born, Henry? I was born in Munich, Bavaria, which is in the south of Germany, and essentially a Catholic country. But you were not a Catholic. Your name was Gunderheimer. You were from a Jewish family. Tell us about your parents. What did they do to support the family? My parents ran a multi-general business that imported and exported very large quantities of coffee and tea, mostly from Asia and Africa. That occurred until the Hitler regime took over, which we might remember occurred when he was chosen as the Reich Consular, was the name, which was in 1933. And life was never the same after that. And in fact, that's the first subject that uh, I will be talking about. Well, tell us about that. Pre-war Germany, Hitler's rise to power. You were, what, nine years old? What do you remember about that? How frightening was it? Let me tell you a little story. I have a grandmother who was made of pure iron and smart as hell. And she could see inflation coming in Germany. If you were aware it was the end of the week, you would get the quality. So where's your wheelbarrow? 
and you would say it was great surprise. It's a wheelbarrow. I don't take a wheelbarrow to work. And the other person would say, well, this Friday you should. And you would say, well, why is that? Because you're going to need a wheelbarrow to accommodate all the German paper currency that has become nearly worthless. You get the idea? I do. Your grandmother, what was her name? Was she your maternal grandmother or paternal? And that was my maternal grandmother, who was born in northern Germany, that is now Lithuania. But let me finish. The next thing that happened was school. I was, uh, it was 1930, six years old, which made me just start school, and I loved to play soccer. So I played soccer on the team the first year, and then the summer came, and the next year I go over to the school and I see the soccer team assembled in the corner. Well, that was normal. What wasn't normal was the reception that I got. After a while, I see they're all pointing to me, and I walk over and I say, what's wrong? I've always played the forward, the right forward. And one of the kids who was my best friend, Johann Walter was his name, says, you know, my father works at the BMW faculty. And he's a member of a new trade union, and he has just been forced to join it. And he told me that I can't talk to you anymore because you're too big. I said, yes, but why? He says, that's all he said. I don't know why. So here I am. Try and put yourself in my shoes. You're six years old. You have been, if anything, the best soccer player on the team. And now somebody comes over and tells you they don't want you to play with them anymore because of where you go to church. What reaction would you have? I'll tell you what mine was. I was crushed. Everybody in my school was pretty, pretty well Protestant. But I survived and I found some other friend in the Jewish community. But now it gets really interesting. Are you ready? Yes. Well, here's what happens. Adolf Hitler, among other things, wanted to prove to the world that Germany, and German in particular, was a word for superb, outstanding. What better way to prove that to the world than to have the Olympics in Berlin? Now, you're not old enough to remember 1936, but I'm very much old enough. I was 12 years old. I was born 1924, so not 12 years old, 1936 Olympic. Every high school had its own Olympic team in every possible field. The one that I ran on was 100 meters. A hundred meters was my best distance easily. And in our high school, I ran it at a better time than anybody else. A couple of weeks later, 
the champions of each of the high schools get together to put together the best Munich team from high schools. We get out to this big field, visualize a football field only half as big. And what's in the football field? People. It's jammed from top to bottom. And in the middle, in the field, are three boxes, card boxes. They have different colors. One is painted gold, one is painted silver, one is painted bronze. My name is called out after the race, where I finished second. Two gentlemen come and escort me to the center of the stadium. And they lift me up and put me on the silver box. And I stand there not particularly surprised because Everybody knew that's what's going to happen in the Olympic. But then nothing happens for quite a while. I can't figure out why. Pretty soon, the same two gentlemen come up and said, come with us. And they held me each by my arm and walked me out of the stadium. As I'm walking out of the stadium, I see that the winner of the bronze is getting off the bronze and going on the silver one. The explanation to the stadium was that the previous runner, for personal reasons, cannot accept his medal. And so we have asked the next runner to take his place. So what am I doing? I'm walking out of the stadium. If you think that I was downcast, you will be mistaken. If you think that I was in a rage, you would also be mistaken. Here is where I was. I said to myself, Henry, just take a little bit. Think, think a little longer term. Is there anybody that can take away the fact that you ran the second fastest under meter in the Munich version of the Olympics? And the answer is no. So what the hell are you feeling rejected about? And I lifted my head up, and that's the moment where I started to become a man. Wow. And he realized that we have a lot in common because that made you a sober man just like me. Yes. No, that that's tremendous. You had your own self-pride, but you were living in a terrible situation where Jews were not allowed to come in second in the Munich Olympics. What a comeuppance then. When Jesse Owens won the 100 meter in front of Hitler, how did that make you feel? I had wiped it from my plate. It was just one of many things where to rethink what the position of people that go to the same synagogue that you and I go to should be permitted to. So I was ripe to do exactly what I did, which was raise my head up and walk out. Did you determine to get out of the country? Was that on your mind after things like this happened? First you get excluded from a soccer team, now you're not allowed to win a track and field award. At what point did you and your family decide, we have to get out of Germany? Well, listen to this. I had, uh, I had a rather tender age, a girlfriend. She was 12, just like me. And her father 
well, as the founder and owner of a large private bank. His name was Klopfer. On Saturday mornings, we would get up early, go to the Bavarian Opera House and pick up the cheap tickets. And then we'd go to her house at breakfast. I'd listen to her practice of piano. She was a wonderful player. About an hour later, the door opens, her father comes in. Right next to the entry hall is a very large room that's divided in the middle by room fitted into half. When I was in the room, it was divided because my girlfriend was practicing the violin. When her father came in, the first thing he did is to close it. And he said to me, Heinrich, come here. I sat down with him. He said, what I'm going to tell him, you not to say to another soul except your father. I said, what, why? He says, Henry, you're smart. What do we do every Christmas? He says, we, we always go to St. Moritz for the skiing. He said, you're right. And you know what? That's exactly what we're going to do this year. It's only two months away. I said, well, that's what I expected. Why are you telling me this? He said, there's one difference. I said, difference? What difference? He said, this year, we're not coming back. I said, what? Not coming back? He says, no. He said, I have a private bank. Half my assets are in Sears, and the other half are in New York. And I've been doing this ever since Hitler was elected because I knew that he's going to put me out of business. Well, it's too late. I said, but what are you going to do with this beautiful apartment and with Ellie's piano and the violins and other things she wants to carry? He says, we're going to leave it. I said, leave it? Just leave it? He says, yes. He says, if we leave it, nobody will pay attention. If we have a whole bunch of stuff we're lugging, everybody's going to want to know what is this all about. So he says, you go home, get your father in a private room, shut the door, and tell him what I just told you, and tell him to get his butt out of Germany as quick as you can. I was shaken up. I went home. My father came. I sold him the message that I had gotten, and he was quiet for a long time. And he said, Henry, here's a little history. He said, when World War I started out, I was 18 years old, and I enrolled in the German army. I was in the army over four years. I fought two and a half years in the cavalry in France and the remainder and the artillery in Russia. The Golden Cross First Class, issued by the German government. Nobody will touch us. Henry says, listen carefully. When the last Jew leaving Germany gets up and goes to the last train to the French border, we will be that last group. 
and within a year he was afraid of his life and ours. So that answers your question. So at first your father was resistant, but ultimately he saw the writing on the wall just like your girlfriend's father did. Were you aware of Adolf Hitler? Were you following him on the radio? Was that the way you got his speeches? Oh, you couldn't know. You couldn't help it. We have a politician now with some very similar characteristics. What do you mean, uh, a politician with similar characteristics? How do you, when do you first remember learning about Adolf Hitler and then listening to him, and how did it affect you? Well, the first, first effect was I had nobody to play with. I attended a local high school. I say without shame that I was an excellent student. I was halfway through my sophomore year, when the principal of the high school wrote a note to my father saying that my father was expected in his office at a particular time. My father showed up alone, as it indicated. And when he came out, he said, well, Henry, you're going to have a lot of free time. I said, what? He says, free time. I said, I don't understand. He says, I think I understand. I said, talk to me. He said, the principal said that you are now at a point where you stand in constant danger of physical harm because of your religion, nothing else. And I cannot and will not accept the responsibility for your personal safety. So you went to my high school. So this is how you find stuff out. That was the end of your high school as a sophomore. It's almost like COVID where you can't go anymore. But here, the problem was you being Jewish. And did they get rid of all the Jews in the school? Or was it because you were so prominent as an outstanding student and athlete? I have no idea. I'm, I'm assuming that there was a commandment that said that certain students who do not have Aryan... The, the students who are not Aryan can no longer be part of the school? That's correct. The same thing happened with, if you had a business. When you applied for your annual corporate practice, you were denied the practice. My father had to fold his business. He sold it for bobcats, as we say. And it was a business that had been three generations. And I was taught when I was a little kid that that was going to be my business. And I would go after school and uh, stock shelves. That dream went out the window in Nazi Germany. How did you get out? How old were you when you got out? I was 14 years and seven months old. So that was not long after you were told you could no longer go to high school where you were excelling. That's correct. How did you get out? What was the route? My children's grandfather, who was in the tobacco business in Germany, he was in a very large end of the tobacco business. He exported all. He had a son who was living in Augusta, Georgia. His son 
had started in business in the 20s, had become exceedingly wealthy. The United States had an arrangement, not known, under which if a certain sum of money is deposited in the United States in the right kind of an account, after a certain number of years, having been allowed into the country, all the funds that were put on your account were returned to you, less anything that was spent using taxpayer money, German taxpayer money. And fortunately, my uncle was wealthy, and he lives in Augusta, Georgia, and he bought a Salidas. No Ellis Island for Henry. No Ellis Island. You huh. you got out of there. But what about the rest of your family? Did your whole family get out, or were people no. left behind and perished? I, I could tell you all over the world. I could start with Shanghai. I would go to the Philippines. I could go to Argentina. I, I haven't even started. The family went wherever they could go and have some chance of remaining alive and carving out a living. So did all the Gunderheimers get out of Germany? No, my grandmother and her daughter and her daughter's girlfriend all died in Theresienstadt. A death camp. Theresienstadt was one of the... Uh, camps that were kept. If you went there, either one of two things happened. You were interviewed and somebody decided that you were worth more dead than alive, in which case they would told, tell you where to stand. If it was the opposite, if you were worth more alive than dead, then you'd stand on the other side. My grandmother was already in her late 70s, she was death. She was death as a post, and she was a miracle with the scissors, thread, and repairing German army soldiers' clothes. So she never went to the oven. Her daughter and her granddaughter went. And so, did your grandma survive the Holocaust? Yes, she did. Not only that, I found her personally in Switzerland after the war, brought her to Boston, and my pleasant memory is hearing her singing when she was in her 80s while she was doing pots and pans in my parents' kitchen. That's amazing. Now, your own mother died when you were only one years old. Who raised her? Yeah. Was it your grandmother who raised you? Who was responsible for the upbringing of young Henry? Well, young Henry was brought up by his aunt, who was high school age, for four years, at which point my father remarried. I've already told you, I've already told you, and it must be getting boring. Is it getting boring yet? No, not at all. I just wonder if you. Ever in, when did you first see the swastika and Nazis on the streets of Munich? And how did you feel as a young Jewish boy in Germany? 
Well, my father and I were coming home when I was seven years old, and all of a sudden, all the streets were blocked by uh, SS vehicles. It was very shortly after the change, group of Mercedes came pouring throughout. throughout. The next day, we found out that there was a push. You know what the word push means. So like a coup where there's a government takeover? Exactly. There was a large group of people who wanted Hitler out, and they plotted privately to assassinate him. And one of the people in the group was a spy who was planted there. And that very night, all the members of that group were killed. You got out before the war, thank God. You came to America, and being born in 1924, that put you at 18 years old in 1942 when the war was really raging. Tell everybody what you did once you got to America to participate in the war and fighting Hitler. Well, excuse me, but in 1938, the war was not raging. The war that was raging was a war in Spain. That was Hitler's trial war to try out some of his new hardware. The war started in the early night of the first day of August of the same year, and it was directed by Germany with tanks against Poland. Poland put into the field its renowned cavalry. Yeah, you heard me right. That's all they had to fight the German tanks. That did not last long. August 1, 1939 is when World War II started in Europe, but it didn't start for America until Pearl Harbor, and then we declared war on Germany. That's why I advanced it to... Well, actually, the war was declared by Roosevelt on the same day as the Pearl Harbor attack. Right. The day that will live in infamy. You were in America. What do you remember about Pearl Harbor Day? Where were you living? Were you in Georgia? Were you somewhere else in America? Where were you at that point? What I remember on Pearl Harbor Day was that I would be back in Germany very soon. Only this time I would be carrying an American machine gun. How did you get in the military? Did you go down and enlist? Were you already an American citizen? No. As soon as we had heard about Pearl Harbor, the American Army started building something that we had never had before, and it was the American Army ski troops. And I volunteered and enlisted in the U.S. Army ski troops. Now you're talking some Colorado stuff. Did you come That's to Colorado right. to be part of the 10th Mountain Division? 87th Infantry, number C. The highest I ever got was a corporal. Tell us about your training and what you thought when you first came to Colorado to get involved. I loved Colorado. It was, I grew up in mountain country. Tell us about the training. What part of Colorado, if you remember, and what level of a skier are you? I know your son, Dave Gunders, is a masterful skier. Did he get that from his dad? My father was not a mountain man. I was. 
the answer to your question is that uh, there was a brand new camp being built by the name of Camp Hale, H-A-L-E. Hale was a hero of the war, I forget for what. It was placed at the precise point where water flows east and west at Tennessee Pass was the place. When I got to Tennessee Pass, we had two sections of barracks and two others that were being built. We already had the 86 that had come and shortly went to the Aleutian Islands. You remember the Aleutian Islands? Sure. The rest of us just sat there, and there was a Scandinavian group also under American Army, and these were all the Scandinavians that either by choice or necessity were marooned in the United States when Pearl Harbor occurred. Now, you came over when you were 14. At what point did you become an American citizen? In April of 1945, which was the day I received my honorable discharge. Well, you got a discharge, but I'm wondering how you got into the Army. Did you become an automatic citizen when you arrived, or did you have to go through a naturalization process? No, you were issued a, a document, and the document had your name and all of the physical and other data, and it was very thoroughly stamped, saying this would become valid upon receipt of an honorable discharge from the United States Army, 10th Mountain Division. I understand. So it's sort of like today, even if you were not an American citizen, you were allowed to participate in the military, and if you did well, that led to citizenship. Am I right? Absolutely right. Do you want to laugh? Sure. Officially, I was referred to as an enemy alien. Now, why would that be? Here, I'm in the Army, and all of my IE stuff has enemy alien on it. Because when we left Germany, we still had a German passport. So where did we go? We went to France. France didn't give us a French passport. We came to the United States. They gave us the enemy alien passport. So except for the German passport, we were stateless. You can't be stateless in the war. Did you see action during the war? Did... Don't try. Don't, don't ever try it. No, I won't. Did it? Did you fight in World War II? Were you able to go back to Germany and fight the Nazis? Yes. yes. Tell us about that. Well, the unit that I was with was the 10th Mountain Infantry. Where did you see battle? They fought in Italy halfway. The Monte Cassino, the Cedrino Bell. Look in your geography book. Monte Cassino is in the middle of uh, Italy, and it basically covers that very long, slim area before you get up to South Hills of Rome. And it was a center place the American Army had to penetrate in order to be able to get its southern forces, 
where he could fight up north where the war was going on with German troops. Monte Cassino was a very large facility. It had been in German hands for at least two years when Germany formed an association and it had been heavily fortified to the point where it was impervious to the biggest stuff that the U.S. Army Air Force could lay down. So it had to be literally liberated by being dug out one soldier at a time. Fortunately, not long before that, I was transferred to another unit on the ground of my being able to speak multiple languages that were needed and would be needed in the uh, upcoming occupation. So how many different languages did you speak at the time? Just two very fluently. German and English? No, my English was sparse, but I spoke French fluently. So you spoke French and German? I studied it in, in school in German. Wow. And the 10th Mountain Division, have you been back for any reunions? Are you guys... No, I cut off all my relationships to all my military experience. So that was not going to be the rest of my life. So that was a conscious break on your part. How long were you in the military during World War II? Pretty close to three years. Did you encounter any Nazis? Were you able to fight? Did you make it back to Germany at all? I commanded a communication battalion and I never raised a gun or a machine gun in anger, nor was I ever shot at. Were you frightened being part of the troops during World War II? Were you scared for your life? If somebody had pointed a gun or a cannon at me, yes, I would have been frightened. But it didn't happen. We had a very simple job. It was communication. What are the communications? A way for military groups to communicate. And how did we do that? We laid down wire. Did we ever lay down wire when there was shooting going on? Yes, quite often. So you were the communications king. Did you have an understanding of what was going on in Germany? Were you aware of the Holocaust and how horrible it had become? Not until pretty close to the end of the war. No, the soldiers are the soldiers are always the last ones who really know what's going on. You know what's going on what you are and no place else. Have you ever returned to Munich, the place of your birth? Yes. Tell us about that. Well, I went to the cemetery. I found my mother's grave. She died when I was very young. And my grandparents and another generation back. It's about 15 kilometers north of Munich, and it is still there in excellent condition. I appreciate your time immensely. Can you help us out one thing, Henry Gunders? We all admire your son, Dave Gunders. He is the troubadour of our show. Tell us about raising a troubadour like Dave Gunders. Did you put some special grooming on him? 
How do you raise a fellow like Dave Gunders? My, our son, Dave Gunders, is as good, as good a human being as you will ever be fortunate to meet. How did he get that way? He had a mother who unfortunately died some years ago. I think you know his father is 96 and still going reasonably strong. And I can't add anything to what I said. They don't come better than my son. I agree with that. Henry Gunders, thank you for your service. Thank you for being such a great parent as evidenced by your son, Dave Gunders. I really appreciate the time. And your last word, what would you say to the people of Colorado and the world who are listening to this? I would say, let us never forget hope, because I have lived in my long life in periods much more dangerous and much less hopeful than what we have now. Great last words. Thank you, Henry Gunders. Really appreciate you and what you have done with your wonderful life. Thank you, sir. Troubadour, oh, Troubadour. <laughs> Why do you laugh in my singing? Everybody does, but it's still not nice. Oh, I like your singing. How are you, Craig? Great. You encourage me to harmonize on our walks together. And we do. 
what is that song? All I get to say is Brother John is dead. <laughs> He's gone. That's, oh, Brother uh, John is gone, right. Brother John, is, that's called Brother John, and it's the Neville Brothers. Right. And we start singing, Brother, hey, Brother, Brother right. John Right, it's a call and, call and response. Yep, yep. One, one of my favorite bands from New Orleans. I like that. And I sure enjoyed talking with your dad, Henry Gunders. I've gotten such positive reaction. And I think this week's song has to be tied to Henry as well. How's that? Because it's a father talking to his son. And I know you have two daughters. And Henry had a disruptive son like you. So I have to figure that you were channeling your father, Henry Gunders. Well, you know, I haven't thought of that. It was, it's probably like, it, it, in part, it, it could be true. Tell everybody about your tremendous, perfect, on-time song called Do As I Say, Not As I Do. Don't well, do what I do. I'm, I'm mangling the it's title. close enough. That's okay. That's okay. Do what I say, don't do as I do. Or don't do what I do. See, even I mangle my own song. But the setting is a father talking to his son and giving him advice that the son is unwilling to take. The son says, come on, dad, you were wild just like me. Look in the mirror. And the father says, do as I say, don't do what I do. Right. But last time I checked, you have two daughters. Well, I, yeah, that's right. But, you know, I can, I can project. Part of, part of writing songs is projecting, Craig, onto, onto and, and possibly it's what even, yeah, as uh, you know, I hadn't really thought of it, but my father and I, we, don't, we, always, we didn't always see eye to eye. We, we always had, we always kept our relationship, you know, good and our communication was there. But I was, I was a pretty wild kid. I was going down a different path than he had envisioned. When did you write this tremendous song? I wrote that song uh, sitting by a fountain in New Orleans a couple of years, I guess maybe three or four years ago, during Jazz Fest. I can hear the New Orleans influence. It's got mm -hmm. the blues, it's got horns, it's got piano, yep. it's got everything. Right. Yeah, that one I got some buddies of mine who play horns. They did a really nice job. I wanted to give that a more, you know, a, a fuller sound. I'm happy with the song. You are ahead of your time, but perfect for right now. How about Mayor Michael Hancock of Denver flying off to Houston and then on to Mississippi on Thanksgiving, even though he just told the people of Denver to stay home? Do as I say, don't do what I do. Well, you know, he's got some answering to do there, but I don't think that detracts from his message. You know, his cautioning people is, is based on science. The fact that he didn't do it, I guess that's something he's, he's got to answer to. Oh, he does. The hypocrisy is a killer. Gavin Newsom in California, if the leaders are taking chances, then how can they really tell us it's all that serious? But I do think it's serious, and you've got a seriously good song. Your last words before everybody listens to your classic, Do As I Say. Oh, my last words? Well, well you can talk as long as you want. You are the troubadour I'm, of this show. I guess my last words are that fathers and sons should always be able to talk to one another. In this case, the relationship is challenged. But in the end, if you listen, the father says you're a good son. You know, you, you've been a good son. And I think keeping those lines of communication open is key to those people you love. We always come to different places in our lives and uh, letting the people who, who are important to us be aware of what we're doing is important and letting them know what we're doing, but keeping those lines of communication, that's my, those are my words of, uh, 
of advice. Beautifully said. And I'm only ahead of you in one regard. I've been married to Trish 26 years as of Thanksgiving. We got married Thanksgiving weekend, uh, November 26th in 1994. And you got married when, in 1995 or six? Right. Yeah, the next year. No, we just celebrated our 25th. Right. But you are ahead of us because you had kids earlier. You're beautiful, Sarah and Rachel. And we have learned from you, even though we have two sons, Ben and Sam, you are an exceptional father, Dave Gunders and Lisa, magnificent mother. So with that compliment, let's hear your beautiful song. You be well and to the family too, Craig. Thank you. Thank you. like it, not one little bit I tried to guide him maybe give him a tip things could be simple but you see his resigned to that reckless behavior got an untracked mind cause I learned a few things when I was away gets a whole lot better once you learn to act sane I save you trouble of some big mistakes he said look in the mirror dad <laughs> give me a break i said do what i say don't do what i do do what i say do what i do i guess everybody got to learn for themselves can't get no wisdom from nobody else i try to think of something so he'll understand He's already out that door With the keys in his hand And over his shoulder Underneath his breath He says, don't ask me no questions, Dad Anyway, you can guess I heard you was crazy And wild, tell me true I said, do what I say Don't you do what I do Do 
Hi, Dave Gunders. What a great song you have this week. Do you like it? Yes. Full-time job. You got to like a full-time job. Tell us about your full-time job. I think I've always kind of put, you know, rebels and renegades up on a pedestal. And uh, he's a good-hearted renegade who barely self-involved. But anyway, he knows how to live life. Why do you keep saying he when you should be saying I? Isn't this, it's autobiographical, (laughs) admit it. Well, I I mean, you're saying that, not me. I wouldn't admit to anything like that. I didn't write this song. You did. It's a song, you know. Take it for what it is. You you have your own interpretation. How does the author mean it? Tell us the meaning of this song, Full-Time Job. Like I said, this guy's very self-centered. He he likes to, you know, do things just the way he he he, he wants to. He's in early in the song, he says, Tell tell the man I'm I ain't coming in. He's not going into work that day. He wants to play his guitar and drink his wine. So not such a bad thing. Right. But who's got the full time job just to make him happy? I mean, I can't help but think of another self centered person, not you, Dave Gunders, a guy far <laughs> beyond you. And self-centeredness, Donald J. Trump, and I'm thinking about Jenna Ellis, the lawyer I got to talk about in the New York Times. I read that interview in the Times, and they they were quoting you. I know. I don't like to talk bad about other lawyers, but here, this woman is hurting our country, killing our democracy, and yeah, I was friendly with you, Jenna, but I warned her a couple weeks ago, I told her, repent. That's language I thought she might understand, but I didn't (laughs) expect she would give up her full-time job just trying to make Donald Trump happy in hopes of making her old friend Craig happy. I'm not paying her, but do I have a right to go after her, even on the pages of the New York Times? It's not like I called the Times. They called me. I don't think you were going after her. No, you were giving your opinion. It wasn't wasn't all scathing. What, What was your quote? I a lawyer said, with with scant experience or scant scant I, accomplishment, I think. Scant accomplishment. Well, you know, maybe scant she is that. more than nothing, right? Uh, scant is scantily clad. Hey, right. It can be a very nice word. <laughs> I, I want to talk. To I you think about, you said it in a very. I think you said it in a very nice way. Right, but then she tweeted against me. She said. The New York Times failed to mention that this guy had a radio show that he lost because he's a Trump hater, which is kind of true. Thank you for saying that, Jenna. And she referenced the podcast. So I think we're having a lot of new listeners this week. Well, I hope so. I hope so. I want a lot of people to hear your voice. This song is one of my all-time favorites. And it occurs to me every song, every album, Probably every lyric, it's a decision by the troubadour, Dave Gunders. And you made the decision in this hard rocking song to start really fast. To start fast. Yeah, I mean, you just jump right into it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, it starts off with the the line, it's it's a full-time job to keep me happy. Yeah. Right, but it's, it's rocking. You mm-hmm. got that crazy organ going. You got people yeah. playing rock and roll out of control. You're just We're an old loose. rocker. It is a rocker. It feels good. It feels good to play that one. 
it's kind of about a mad king. It's full-time well, job it to keep me happy. Sure. Yep, yep. What are you thinking about Donald Trump? You know, the election was well more than a month ago, and the guy still won't give up, and he's got a lot of people believing that he lost because of a fraud, that it's rigged, and Jen well, Ellis is one of the people telling. I know. It's crazy. Not something we didn't anticipate. And like we said on our walks, and you would say on your show that, you know, thankfully there was a margin of error that has caused a lot of these accusations to ring hollow. I think so. But still, a lot of people are buying it. And it's a big lie. We're sensitive to that. But I also have to rest my case that this is autobiographical, this song. I'm putting it on (laughs) Trump because I have Trump on my brain. But Go ahead. You identify yourself. You have a reference to being a troubadour. That gives well, it away. Yes. That's right. That's right. Living life on my own terms. That's that's a that's a long a long a far cry from from the full time job that our president is 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 practicing now. But a song can apply to many different scenarios. Right, and so, to Lisa yeah. Gunders, it might be her full time job just to keep you happy, and she does a good job. You are a happy guy. Keep it clean, Mister. That's why you are a troubadour. Thank you, Craig. Let's Always let everybody give a listen and get ready. This one rocks right at the outset. Thank you, troubadour. All right, take care. Well, it's a full time job to keep me happy.
keep me happy. Troubadour, happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah to you, my friend. Do you know what Trish is making even as we speak? Latkes. Can you smell them across the street there? I wish I could. Well, wait till they get frying. Oh, boy. It's exciting. (laughs) What are your best memories of Hanukkah? Oh, well, being around the table with my family, of course, singing. Singing the great Hanukkah songs. Motsur Yeshua Si, otherwise yes. known as Rock of Ages. My father would sing, whether free or feathered. He would always like to make that, say, fettered. He would make feathered. And, and I, uh, anyway. Boy, that's a new stance of Rock of Ages. I know Rock <laughs> of Ages led our song, Praise Thy Saving Power, Thou Amidst the Raging Storm, West Our Sheltering Tower, Furious They Assailed Us, But Thine yes. Arm Availed Us. And Thy Word Broke Their Sword When Our Own Strength Failed Us. Powerful words. But where is that feathered or free stuff? Rock of Ages, hear our song, Whether free or fettered. Now amidst the raging storm, on thy sheltering to I don't know exactly, but it, <laughs> it, the feathers are in there somewhere. And then you have to sing the dreidel song. I had a little dreidel. Yes, and we would we would sing that. And of course, that was in well when I was a kid. And of course, I carried on the tradition. And we had dreidels made of all kinds of things in my household, where the girls would sing. Anyway, the the, the songs continue generation to generation. It's wonderful. But we have a new song for Hanukkah from our troubadour, Dave Gunders. I love it. Tell everybody about it. Well, Craig, like most of my songs, you are adept at bending them to your will. And this song actually was inspired by the Wizard of Oz, the Tin Man, who had no heart. Well, I think we can segue into Hanukkah because... My family always watches The Wizard of Oz when we get together for holidays. And my kids know better than to interrupt or talk at all when Dorothy sings Somewhere Over the Rainbow. That is one of my all-time favorites, and I love that movie, still do, except the flying monkeys scare the crap out of me. I still have nightmares. But then the Tin Man, when I think of Tin, I think of one of the favorite parts of Hanukkah, and that is getting Hanukkah gelt. Gelt can be money, real money, or it can be funny money, chocolate money wrapped in tin. In gold tin, that's right. You're my master of of the segue. But you, you're ahead of your time. You wrote a song about you could be dancing with the stars, beautiful lyric, or but instead you're dancing with the Tin Man. Right. I think there should be the theme for that TV show, Dancing with the Stars. Well, count me in. 
<laughs> right, right. If they haven't jumped on the song yet, I think it's unlikely at this point. But my thinking was not, it had nothing to do with the show. It was about, the, it was Dancing with the Stars, the more romantic notion of that. Right. And I know you, because we take walks, we comment on the trees, and every once in a while we will see a tree that looks like a menorah, but my favorite tree That's right. is a Hanukkah. And what's the difference between a Hanukkah and a menorah? There is no difference. You're wrong. Okay. I can then educate tell me. you. Then a tell menorah me. has room for seven candles. A and Hanukkah the, has right. nine. Now, what's that all about? That's the big difference. Now, the holiday of Hanukkah, what was the light that they needed with the uh, oil to burn for one day, but it lasted eight? What were they right. talking about? Right. So how is it the, the Hanukkah has nine? Because the oil lasted for eight days, but not in a menorah. And the right. near Tamid, the eternal light, which is... What you maintain at every synagogue, including the great temple, which is where that special oil needed to be transported. Anyway, Hanukkah is the festival of lights. And what are the ultimate lights for us? The stars. The stars, Craig. The stars above. Let's listen to the Tin Man and All About the Stars. What a great song by Dave Cunders, our troubadour. Say happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah to you. Thank you. Thinking of a broken heart I wish I had a heart could get broken But my chest is hollow and I ain't joking You come skipping along Looking for the man to take you home But you found the time to make me shine I know you got the mind to make it I know you got the nerve to take it Telling you so you understand If I had a heart It'd be in your hands You could be dancing with the stars with the stars You could be dancing with the stars But you dance with the Tin Man I wish I had the nerve to say I'd feel so good when you come my way Something's beating and it won't slow down Give me that magic touch The one that gets me loosened up The one that seems to get me breathing So much now to take in I was just a man forsaken Me stumbling, me falling girl like you who could be dancing with the stars dancing with the stars 
dancing with the stars Could be dancing with the stars But you dance with the tin man about medical directives what sort of qualities are we looking for there You're looking for somebody who cares about you somebody who wants to take care of you but also somebody who's not afraid of making that decision because you know bad things might happen you know if if you have a, a son or a daughter who you know absolutely you know is, is the stereotypical mama's boy and can't imagine anything bad ever happening to his mom and then suddenly has to make a decision about what kind of surgery mom needs to have or you know are we going to what treatment option are we going to have for mom and paralyzed by oh no i can't have anything bad happen to mom not the right person so you want somebody who can look at a situation still loves their still loves the person but is able to do do what's right and do what's necessary for your parents or for whoever you have that you're acting on behalf of call my lawyer michael bailey his rates are reasonable and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com And so it's time to say goodbye for another show. Thanks to my troubadour. Thanks to my excellent producer. All of 2020. What a great guy. Nick Canapa. Happy New Year, Nick. Happy New Year, Dave Gunders. Happy New Year to you, my audience. Michael Bailey, thank you. Have a great New Year. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.